It's Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal in the Bernabeu! Looks like Xavi! Giroud plays it in the Hello and welcome to another season of the Arsenal Editor Podcast. Now I should have this released as the first podcast of the season. It's something we wanted to do. It's something we've recorded for a while. But uh, as the powers may be, it might not well be. So by the time we've recorded this and actually uploaded it, it might well be the second game. So hopefully we'll have beaten Palace. More importantly, um, this is actually one of the most, uh, yeah, super exciting things we've done at Arsenal Editor. We've been doing this for a long time. And actually having an Arsenal player on the podcast, as I'm sure you obviously read in the title, has been... Super exciting. Um, it's something we've been trying to get done for a while. There's a number of people that are still in the pipeline, but Jen Beattie was, was always someone that we were so excited to talk about for, for a number of different reasons. And um, moving into a leadership role, being part of the business and a player kind of was the threefold element as to why it was so exciting to have us. So um, look, we pre-recorded it. We know what happens. So I just want to say it was amazing and I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. So um, without further ado, um, I can't wait for you to get stuck in. So So crack on. Enjoy, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Over to you, Connor, from a pre-record. That works. <laughs> Got it. Jen, again, thank you so much for, for being here with us and, you know, actually having a, an Arsenal player on the podcast. You know, how far Arsenal editor has come and, and a fantastic one at that. What an absolute honour it is to, to have you here. So how has your day been so far? been good obviously lionesses won last night so it was a it was a fun day to be fair everyone or most of us went to the final yesterday that that obviously weren't involved but um now we're in for recovery and for training um two weeks into pre-season so it's been intense but it's been a great day how are you guys yeah good can't complain can't complain enjoyed the game last night i enjoyed a couple of moments particularly uh, a certain player mouthing off at a certain german player which i really enjoyed as well <laughs> I yeah. don't know if that came across at Wembley, but on the TV it was great. But yeah, um, but yeah good. I mean, I just want to say, hey, mum made it, got an Arsenal player on the podcast. So, yeah, like, <laughs> to Miss Parks, you know. So again, you know, it's a fantastic time to be to have you on the podcast, Jen, and fantastic time for women's football as well. So, uh, saying how excited I am is very much an understatement. Uh, so, what we'll do, and we'll get right into it, is that. Um, We'll talk a little bit about your your new role and the football side of things uh, at Arsenal. So recently you've signed a, a new contract, which is fantastic. And it's not just a normal, I'm going to play for another two years. It's got a little bit of an added element to it in terms of an academy sort of role in that sense. Could you explain a little bit more? Yeah, look, I, th- I think it's, it's something I'm, I'm really excited about. But I think the way... I would always like to start to describe it like my football contract will always come first. I'm I'm still a professional footballer, still want to give everything to this team and I still absolutely love being a full-time footballer. It's one of the best jobs in the world, but I'm at a young age of 31, I'll turn 32 next year and I, I just wanted to look beyond that and see um, what else I can do and Arsenal were amazing and, and willing to help out in that sort of transition towards retirement I guess and that like sort of forward-thinking career path so it's split into two roles basically the first one is mainly with the academy um taking on a more like mentoring ambassador role which I'm really excited about it's um there's such like unbelievable kids coming through they've they've been training a few of us a few of them have been training with us this week in pre-season and the talent coming through is just unbelievable so it's it's more just about having 
one-on-one catch-ups with them, seeing what they would want from me, what advice, whatever I can give to them, because ultimately it comes down to performance and, and we as a club want them to come into our first team environment just as as calm and take the pressure away from them basically and whatever makes them feel 100% comfortable because it's overwhelming. Like we've uh, we've all been there as kids coming into a first team environment and it's, it's scary and you just want to perform well and train well. So it's kind of just making that transition as easy as possible, which I'm excited about and it's been great having them in this week actually and, and getting to know them and seeing how good players they are. Like honestly, some of the talent coming through, it's exciting. So that's number one. The the second aspect is more office based, which is very new to me, I won't lie. Like it's <laughs> it's, it's it's something I've never done before. But I, I, I did study at uni uni. I studied business and marketing, so and I was always interested in the sort of more brand partnership and sort of global scale and looking at football as more as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Arsenal were unbelievable with me and allowing me to come in on, on my day off and, and work in the office and see what it's like working a nine to five. And <laughs> I guess like mentally prep myself for, for when I I'm hopefully will eventually be doing that. But yeah, unbelievably excited to have that opportunity at Arsenal at such a big club. And um, it's good to get started, actually. Like it's obviously it's, it's, it's new to me. It's new to them as well. They've never had a player do that sort of dual role so it's something I'm, I'm really excited about out of interest um I remember at school um I were you know we were playing on the the playground and I'd come in stinking uh and going to class is it kind of <laughs> like that do you kind of go to training do your pre-season and get straight in the office and... <laughs> I am so glad it is not like that because <laughs> I know exactly how that feels that 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 feeling yeah 100% we've all been there in the playground and you come in absolutely sweating um no thankfully thankfully my day off from football will be in the office so my Thursdays are nine out of ten times are our day off from football so in in, on a Thursday I'll be in at Highbury House kind of working in the office so no thankfully I'll be showered and hopefully (laughs) (laughs) no fantastic and then when you were broaching that subject and signing up to that contract I know Arsenal gave you your professional debut and I was wondering if then, having factored that in, when you're signing this this contract, did you want to, to give back to the club in that way as a result or anything like that? Definitely. I think, you know, I'll always be so grateful to Arsenal. Like, you know, they, they gave me my first ever opportunity when I was 18 to be even remotely close to professional. We were, we were semi-pro at that time. We weren't even fully pro yet. So they're 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 the ones that put me through higher education. They're the ones that paid for my university, which was unheard of at that time as well. So it's because of them that I even have that degree to an extent. So it's it's cool to see it go full circle and to be put back into the club. And yeah, look at like I I was overwhelmed to to for them to give me an opportunity to further that sort of skill set off the pitch because it's it's not a, a thing that a lot of players are doing and. You know, they, of course, are the ones that gave me my first ever opportunity on a football scale. And you could argue that they're the ones giving my first ever opportunity from a, an after football scale as well, if I can put it like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful for them. They're fantastic. And I love that idea of the, the circle of life, almost Arsenal circle of life is coming and getting yeah. back and, and completing, completing that cycle in that sense. And I noticed that you also spent some time away from Arsenal. So I think you, you were in Melbourne at one point. You played for Man City as well. And that's where you met uh, Joe Montemiro, the former Arsenal manager, I presume, as well. 
And in that sense, um, what made you decide to to come back after after some time away? You nailed it, Joe Montemurro. What what other reason would I need to um, come back to Arsenal? Yeah, no, like I worked with Joe out, out in Melbourne, um, and we won the league, won the won the cup as well, and had an unbelievable experience working with him and just the way he is as a manager, the way he is as a person, let alone as a football coach. Um, when he got the job, I think it was in 2018, um, I kind of always had that on my radar and I was over like over the moon when he came in for me and was up for signing me again. So um, he was my number one reason to come back to Arsenal for sure. Yeah, fantastic. And was it, you know, some of the Arsenal fans I'm sure can relate uh, for tracking certain players as planes when they're coming over for transfers. Was it like that? Do you track track his plane over to Arsenal when he's going to sign? Or yeah, I had a hawk eye on him. Had a had a had a scout <laughs> seeing what he was he was he was going to do next. I'm, I'm joking, but yeah, no, he, he's he's a great guy, and I still keep in touch with him now. And um, he's doing a great job over at Juventus already, and I'm I'm sure he's well loved wherever he goes and works because he's he's not just a top guy; he's, he's a top manager. He's he's unbelievable at what he does, and he was great when he was here. And yeah, I wish him well, but. Yeah, he's a great guy to work for. That's fantastic. And then, you know, with the, the new manager coming in as well, Jonas Eidervall, and given your relationship with, with Joe Montemurro as well, how have you found that transition? Yeah, look, as much as I absolutely loved Joe and, and what he did with us, I feel like Jonas coming in kind of probably saw it from a completely fresh perspective. And he, he does see football pretty differently to Joe. I won't lie, his, his sessions are, are quite different. Um and I think he's maybe arguably what we needed to take to take us to that next mm-hmm. level. Every manager is different, and they all have different qualities and what they can bring out of teams. And we've all seen that across football and the best managers. But Jonas has been great so far, and you know I, th- I still feel like as a team we've got so much we 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 want to achieve, and we were so close last year. But hopefully Jonas can can take us to that next level next year. Yeah, and. It's interesting how you, you mentioned how much you want to achieve. And one of the sentiments I got from last season is that there was a sense of we could have got something, we could have achieved something. Of course, coming one point short in, in the league is, so of course, contributing to that. But everyone wants to be competing for those big trophies, the Cups, the Champions League. And so for this season, how are you feeling about the, those efforts? You mentioned the talent coming through the academy. Are you feeling confident? Are you feeling optimistic? What is, what's the sentiment around the club? No, I am. You definitely summed it up. I think it, there there was such a, an element of of disappointment last year, especially to go to the sort of last game of the season. And football's funny. All, all of a sudden, you're in in the mix for so many trophies, and then all of a sudden, you you can win nothing at the end, and you think, I can't believe that happened. But and it is frustrating to think we've gone three seasons now without without lifting a trophy, and you know we want to believe that we're all winners and, and, and trying to achieve the best that we can. And we are, you know, we see the graph that goes in every day, but I think we're all definitely feeling opt. I think we're just sick of losing now, yeah. to be honest. And I think that's probably the, the attitude we need to take in. Like we don't want to be falling short at any hurdle or, or coming second best to anyone anymore. We need to win something. And now it's more of like a, we know we've got the group that can do it. It's that mentality edge that needs to take us to that next level because this is by far one of one of the most talented groups I've ever worked with and the best group of people I think I've ever worked with as well. And, I'm, and I mean staff level as well in that sense, like players and staff across the board. So I feel like next year 
we are optimistic, but it does come from we're just sick of losing and not winning anything and we feel like we've got the group to do it. So there's definitely that belief now. Do you think, um, you know, given the success like last night, and I know that it seems like from last season, like the relationship between everybody at the club is just like amazing right now. Um, you know, with that hunger and, and trying to win and things like that, do you think last night and the Lioness is winning and just how many people played from from Arsenal in that team, um, sort of combined with that sort of leadership element, you're going into a leadership role now as well. I mean, we obviously need quite a lot of leaders on the pitch anyway, but, you know, do you think that's going to have a big impact? Yeah, I think I think one of the things about England, it's probably the most well-balanced English team we've ever seen in terms of experience and youth and depth and strength and all that stuff. And I feel like Arsenal can kind of emulate that. We've got a good mix of those exact same qualities. We've got a good level of experience. We've got some unbelievable youth coming through. For Leah, for that was her first trophy to lift as a captain. That is insane. If there's there's nothing that's gonna light a fire in her belly more than lifting a European trophy as her first trophy as captain. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. leadership roles that she's developed and you know that skill set that she'll have learned over this summer that like she already had deep down, but obviously this tournament's just brought that out of her. And you know we've all seen best best performances all summer and all year, and you know she needs to take that into this season. Yeah. Like yeah. surely. <laughs> That's what we're all hoping anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to what I was doing at 23 and it certainly wasn't lifting a Euros. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And, you know, given all of these experiences that you've had, Jen, and the players you've been around and the the leadership roles that you've had as well, I was wondering what you wanted the hallmarks of your new role to be in the academy, given that you're experienced with all these different managers, with Joe, with Jonas... I was wondering what you want to be sort of known for when you're enacting your your new role in the academy. I think my biggest thing, and don't don't get me wrong, I think I'm probably still learning this myself. And I think that's probably the one thing I would want to like educate the kids on is is finding your formula and finding your balance. I think it, it constantly changes throughout your career, but finding that balance in your life between sort of football, education, life family friends relationships all that stuff it's it's so hard to balance and it's constantly adapting whether on where you live what club you play for what country you're in so for me it's it's educating kids on that that you you might not be the finished product but it's it's constantly trying to just know yourself and not trying to compare yourself to anyone else stay in your own lane find your balance find your formula I think that's probably my number one thing that I'll enjoy chatting to the academy kids about because I think it, I, that's what I would have needed at that young age because I didn't know I didn't know what it took to to be full-time or be professional and I feel like that's the probably one thing that how do you get them up to speed as quickly as possible so that when they come into a first-time environment they can just run with it and they're comfortable with it. I see what you're saying and I watched an interview where you chatted with Taya Goldie after she signed her new long-term contract another promising talent that we have and unfortunately sustained a, a pretty horrendous injury on her on her with Watford mm. last season and you mentioned social media in that sense because of yeah. course that wasn't around uh, as much when when you were starting out playing and I was wondering if that will form part of your chats about the formula where you chat about how to handle social media how to use it right or how to stay away from it definitely and I think that's one of the most important things is is the variability in that and how some people absolutely love it and they thrive on it 
and Beth means probably quite a good example of that. And she, she won't mind me saying, but Beth is fully aware of what's written about her in the media, whether it's good or bad or indifferent or, but it doesn't phase her. If anything, she probably thrives on it. I'm the complete opposite. I didn't like reading anything that was written about me, whether it be good, bad or indifferent, because I didn't want it to phase the way I thought. I, I always tended to think the most important opinions were my manager, my family, you know, people close to me. So I think it's instilling that mindset into kids that if it makes you feel a certain way, as long as it's good, but just fight, figure that out as quickly as possible. If it doesn't make you feel good, you don't have to do it. Or learning to sort of tailor it to the way what you would what you would want to see, what's what's healthy for you, what makes you mentally feel the best, because that ultimately reflects onto your physical performance going into training and games and everything around that. So it's I think it's about tailoring it to what works for you. It's not a one size fits all. It's it's so different for for each athlete, for each individual. Some people thrive on it. Some people absolutely hate it. And it's kind of figuring out what works best because it can be really effective. And, you know, mental health is, is such a big thing in, in not just football, but everywhere now. And it's so important, especially especially at a young age. That's how it sort of first sort of kicks on to the rest of your career. So I think if, if kids can kind of control that and manage that and seek advice on it, then that's all I think I would ever want from the academy kids. And are there, um, are there like support structures in place at the club for, for things like that? Because I mean, from from all sides of the game, it's grown so quick. You know, unimaginable rates really in such a good way. I can imagine that must be a strong part of what people do at the club. Is that is that right or? Yeah, it's it's like exactly what you said. It's, it's the way that the women's game has grown so much. You know, you you, you go in front of playing playing in front of sorry a couple like a few thousand to what the girls play in front of eighty seven thousand. Yeah. Last night, the it, the the exposure and the and, and don't get me wrong, we're we're females in the game and we want to be criticised just the same way the men are. You know, that's that's part and parcel of the game. That is that is just what happens. But we're lucky enough to have a full time psychologist that is kind of there from from not just a well being perspective but a performance perspective as well. That kind of is there for if you do need help with that, if you're getting abuse online. So there's definitely a structure there. And, you know, that's credit to the club for employing, I guess, the right people to, to have on board to have a process for that. Because it's, it's so important, not just for the young ones, but the old, like, people like myself as well, because we weren't used to it at that age coming in. It's, it's relatively new for people, like, on, on the older spectrum, if, if I can put it that way. Um <laughs> We're, we're not used to it either so it's it's so different again to, to how individuals deal with it but yeah Arsenal have a great process of um you know psychology support if, if anyone needs it yeah I, I mean you know I can imagine stereotypically like a dressing room at a professional sports environment must be pretty like nothing phases me nothing is going to affect me kind of thing so it's really good to hear that a professional sports outfit has that in place and can support particularly the you know, young people coming up as well and um, I'm curious to know because you mentioned that you, um, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily one to, to to look for something that you've been that's written about you, whether it's on social media or anything like that. Was there anything in particular that sort of was there something you read when you were a bit younger that stopped you wanting to, or was it more even if it might have been positive that you just like actually I want to focus on my own and, and not read anything, or um, or is it just something you've always not not been keen to, to search out? Um, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I got quite a lot of abuse after the the cup final uh, against Chelsea and that was kind of 
a little bit of a turning point for me. It's because it's tough. It's hard to read. It's, it's, mm. not, it's never nice. I think I always tried to never get too carried away with the good comments either because obviously there are so like amazing fans that, that you know write amazing things to you. And don't get me wrong, they will never go unnoticed. But it's always that one comment that you remember, isn't it, that's negative. And sometimes it doesn't even take many, just just a, one or two. And they're, you know, they're the ones you kind of remember. And it's a shame that that's probably just a human thing that a lot of people do. In amongst a hundred good things, there'll be one or two that are awful, and they're the ones that you'll get caught up in. So, yeah, I tried to stay away because it was hard. You know, you've just lost the cup final, and in a game where you're trying to do your absolute best, you know, you're trying to train to the absolute best and win a trophy for your club that you you love so much and so to to go online after and, and read negative stuff it's, it's it's really horrible like it really really is it's I wouldn't wish it upon anyone but that was kind of the point where I kind of had to tailor it a little bit and mm-hmm. avoid certain things online and yeah so that was that was a bit of a turning point for me yeah I'm sorry to hear you had to go through that it's 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 um it's not fair it's something that we see so much in the game, isn't it? That mm. the I think there's a lot of people kind of forget that there's that sort of professional uh, pr- pr- player on on the pitch, and then there's the TV, and then there's the media, and it's like this whole uh, like kind of creation of this like kind of other world. And you, it's very easy to forget. That, well, for some people, it sounds like it's very easy to forget that there's a real human that will be reading through comments and you know looking for all the good stuff, and then it only take that one thing for, for it to really impact you. I'm, no, yeah, no, I, yeah. I understand for sure. From a, another perspe- perspective, though, like we all watch sport, we all we all comment and critique on on good things and bad things, but I'll never understand why someone would then go online to to comment directly and say pretty pretty harsh things. But mm. like everyone's different, but I'll never understand it. But even even from a wider scale, I remember in in twenty nineteen Scotland, we got we got to the World Cup with Scotland. Mm. and um it was my first major tournament because I missed out on the Euros through injury two years before that so for me it was huge being there was so unbelievably proud to be there with Scotland it was it was our first World Cup as a women's team and it was incredible and I chose to stay off social media the whole time purely because I'm one of those ones that it it overwhelms me I didn't want to be reading everything that people were writing about not just us but other teams and comparing and the hype that goes on. I, I think media is brilliant. Don't get me wrong. It, yeah. the, the exposure that it gives to the game, amazing. But I think being the athlete in it, it can be overwhelming. So I kind of, at, at that point, chose to stay off it for a bit. And I, I still say to this day, it was, it was one of the best things I did because it allowed me to just fully focus and enjoy the tournament for what it was and spend time with my family and my friends. And I've got memories that will live forever with me because of that. And but at the same time, it's you can still tailor it to what you want to see. And but I, I chose to stay off it fully for that time. But there's still ways around it, um, is what I would mm. say. So yeah, tailoring it is is the way forward. I think. Yeah, sounds like it. I mean, well, uh, on a positive note, what, what was it? What was it like pulling on the Scotland shirt and playing for Scotland? I mean, as a as a a very unathletic man, <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm ever going to sing a national anthem unless it's for like table tennis. Or so. Actually, no, what am I talking about? That's impossible. That's very difficult. What was Maybe. it like? <laughs> at, at the World Cup or in general? Oh, in general, I suppose. World Cup, I suppose, too. I think yeah, it was, it, like, it, 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 you know, it just doesn't get old. Mm-hmm. I think that's the coolest yeah. thing. I think every, every camp I get called into or it's just always been so enjoyable. You know, the, the people that... Um, 
that play for Scotland and, and work for the Scottish FA. They're just enjoyable people to be around. So that, that number one was always my favourite thing. You know, when a Scotland camp comes around every sort of six to seven weeks within a season, it's it's a chance to go see your mates that you've not seen. And that feeling of pulling on a Scotland shirt is not... I don't think... I don't think I took it for take it for granted, but it is still an incredible feeling. Everything you, you do get used to it in a sense, but I hope I never do because that feeling of seeing that number five on the back of a shirt with your name and my brother and my dad both played Scotland, um, played rugby for Scotland. Sorry, so to know that they sort of played international sport as well, and I got the chance to do the same thing and and still do. It's just. It's one of those feelings that will never get old. Singing an anthem with a Scotland shirt, with a badge on your front, will just never get old. Seeing your family in the crowd and they're, then yeah. they're supporting you, schoolmates that still come to watch it, it's, it's genuinely one of the best feelings. Once the nerves go <laughs> and calm down. Sorry. Yeah. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, actually, no, I can't, to be honest. Like, that's <laughs> and um, I, I, again, probably going off bit off script here, but I'm curious to know, would you think like having it within the family, you know, playing international sport, kind of gave an extra belief that it was possible and that sort of thing? Or was that always a name because of that? Or don't to be honest, really I, I, don't th- I don't think it was ever an aim. I don't think mm. I ever, I never, ever presumed or assumed it was going to happen. Not like, not a chance. I think I was just incredibly lucky to grow up with a brother that taught me to play football and a, a dad that, that was so like, encouraging to play not just football but but all sports I I grew up with that sort of mindset and that I guess that competitiveness like you can imagine a big brother six years older he beat me at absolutely everything so like it was it was so much fun to to grow up in but no I I definitely never assumed but it was it was the best environment to grow up in I had every sort of advice and you know a sport family to to talk to and to you know they they've kind of been there done it even my brother that's you know three four years retired now it's it's cool to see him go through that process and I feel like everything I've done he's he's been there done it so it's whatever conversation I have with him he's he's the best soundboard to have and my dad as well even though in my dad's day he was amateur you know he still went through all the same emotions and and highs and lows so they know exactly how it feels and it's it's so cool to relate to literally no i can imagine so it looks uh looks epic i'm 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 30 next week so i'm i'm i still think i've got time um to be able to <laughs> you do it you do <laughs> yeah. excellent and i was wondering myself because my sister's also um funny enough i can relate to your story so my sister's also six years younger so she hates yeah. challenging me at, at anything she only challenges me at, at certain things where she's like yeah i've got you so there will be there will be some challenges where we do like a pub quiz and she's like right YouTubers names and like <laughs> and all that kind of a thing. So I can I can imagine that having that role model in your life, especially when you're going through all the highs and all the lows, and just to have that sort of bedrock in in your life is is a fantastic thing to have and and very grounding in that sense. And do you think when mm-hmm. you're playing and going through those moments that whether it's good or bad, at the end of the day, you you have your family? Does that ever go through your head? A hundred percent. I think it's it gave me a whole new perspective. I think my dad always said there's there's highs and lows, but don't get too high with the highs and don't get too low with the lows. Kind of try and stay in this mm-hmm. in between sort of steady state. And that's one of the things I'll always try and repeat to people. So whatever 
whenever I've lifted a trophy or whenever we've I've won stuff individually or with the team, I've I've absolutely loved those moments. Don't get me wrong, but I've always thought, right, okay, I've got to do this again, or what's next, or um, or even with the bad stuff, you know, with with injuries or being dropped or you know niggles you have or I don't know drama within the team you know all that stuff all that normal stuff that happens or managerial decisions or you know team meetings all that stuff I'm not saying team meetings are negative by the way like obviously they're good fun too but yeah yeah, um they're just the best sort of soundboard to have in those moments because they've been through it like my brother's had surgeries and injuries and been he's he's, every athlete goes through it I don't know anyone that, that doesn't so to have a family member that kind of understands not from a an emotional standpoint but a professional one as well is is something that I've always been so grateful at and you know the yeah I've always been so thankful that I've got a sort of solid family um that are there to to chat whenever so very lucky in that sense and another sort of relative constant throughout all of this is is the number on the back of your shirt number five and I was wondering if there was a backstory behind this number is it just a number that you like or is it you know is uh, something with superstition, like you always have to eat five strawberries or? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a funny one. Um, I'll be honest, there actually is no sort of backstory to that one. I was 22 when I moved to Montpellier, as in 22 years old. So that's why I picked number 22. Okay. I moved from there to Man City, who wanted me to play centre-back and, and number five was the number they give me and it's kind of stuck from there. So I was sort of 24 when I first got the number five shirt and I think at that point I knew I was I'd been playing centre-back for a couple of years as in my in general speaking in terms of career and number five was kind of a centre-back number and then Scotland kind of followed through and, and gave me that five shirt as well so for me to have a sort of starter number I think I've just been lucky being managed to hold on to it and then our, when Arsenal said do you want number five I was like absolutely <laughs> like jumped at yeah. it I couldn't believe that I, I, I was I was being offered number five, but yeah, no, I'm happy to stick with it and yeah, buzzing with the number five. But no, no, no five blueberries, no five strawberries. Um, yeah, five straightforward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is fantastic. And in in that sense as well, I was wondering, um, from going club to club, does that does that number five? Did it ever form something you looked for or? did you ever keep tabs on whether the number five would be open or is it just like whatever number they give me, I'm going there? Yeah, I'll be honest. Numbers have never really been a big superstition for me, especially especially growing up because I never wanted to presume I was a starter or I never wanted to presume that I was entitled to a certain number. I think a lot of players have superstitions and that's fine or, or lucky numbers, but I, I never really had that. But I think when when Man City gave me the number five and you know I solidified a, a position in that team playing it, playing up with Steph Houghton every week, I was I wanted to hold on to that number. So I think now it's it's more so holding on to it <laughs> <laughs> and how and how long that will last. But yeah, no, it's it was something I was I was buzzing to get, and I think it made me feel like a a starter in a weird way. Like yeah. it made me feel like I I'd earned my spot in the squad or or the team for that week and. To keep hold of it is something probably I was I was really proud of to do at Man City, and then to to be or to be offered it at a big club like Arsenal was was even better. So, and um, in terms of that number, then and you know, given your role and moving into the leadership side and even the business side, is there anyone 
that we should be really excited about coming through the youth that's snapping at your heels wanting to take the five away <laughs> no, they're not getting five yet they're not having it, not having <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah no there, there's an unbelievable midfielder called maddie and there is strong forward called michelle and there is another center back called katie i'm not gonna lie she's She's pretty good, so if she comes after the number five, I might have to have a, that might be part of my mentoring role to be like, don't ask for number five. <laughs> this is why, yeah, this is why you don't ask for number five. Yeah, that's why, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, great. And, you know, you mentioned that number five was a centre-back number for you, but I uh, have listened to a, to a podcast or interview or two, and you mentioned how you haven't always played centre-back. And I think it was yeah. against... Uh, England and in, in Cyprus and I think it was 2011 you play you played up front and then you got yeah. told to, to keep your feet on the ground and go back <laughs> but how was that transitioning did you enjoy playing centre forward oh I loved it I think it was one of the best parts of I guess my development as a player I think you kind of go through it especially in, in youth squad youth squad levels kind of I remember playing left back centre mid centre forward and I loved it. I loved the challenge of of playing different roles, and I think you see the game from from different perspectives as well. And it's hard; it's hard changing roles. But I, I remember specifically having a com- also, by the way, the the reason I got played at centre forward. I don't know if you guys have heard, but I mean, you will have Julie Fleeting, obviously one of the most prolific goal scorers for not just Scotland but Arsenal as well. Five foot ten, similar stature. She went out on maternity leave because she was having her her kids. So she, they were like, I, th- oh, I genuinely think they probably pointed at me and thought, right, you're five foot ten as well. Give it a go. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, what was it? Yeah, right, dark hair, five. Yeah, um, but like absolutely loved it um, and managed to score some goals. And obviously, when you get put back to centre back, that doesn't happen so much. But I definitely specifically remember the conversation with my national team head coach at that point I think I was 22 or 21 22 and she sat me down and said look going forward I, I think you should be a center back like that's where I see you developing and basically she said you're a terrible striker <laughs> uh, like you're never gonna make <laughs> okay um so yeah that's why I moved to that's why I actually moved to Montpellier because they needed a center back so they gave me that opportunity. Um, and yeah, I kind of took that on board and thought, right, if I'm going to move forward and progress and develop as much as possible, then centre-back is, is where I've been given the most advice. So just take it and go for it. I've always wondered that, you know, in, in youth teams, at what age do they do you start getting pigeonholed into certain areas? And it sounds like you managed to be run quite a lot into the professional side of things, and you know, in senior um, teams. But um, at youth teams, do, do coaches really push you into certain positions or they try a lot of people around in a lot of areas or how does it how does it, it work I think there's definitely a lot of trial in different areas unless mm. you're kind of a standout at certain positions but I think in in, ter- in terms of development it's probably best for the kid and the player to, to to be changed about and to move about in terms of learning different positions being challenged not physically but mentally as well seeing the game from from different angles so I think it's probably more reasons than just the football to kind of move move kids about positionally but mm. I definitely think it was normally a sort of early 20s is when a player sort of sat down and said right this is where we think your best one is but it can be later like I've, I've seen players move about especially forwards and midfielders 
they're kind of much more fluid in the way that they move about and play and it's it's a lot more changeable in that sense. But from a defence line, I think it's it's much more solidified from a younger age, I'd say. And um so will that will that be your um philosophy, I guess, in a sense. So move the kids around and Bit, bit of total football for a bit and see, see where everything works. <laughs> yeah, I'll come in as a mentor and just be like, right, you're at right yeah. wing today. Go yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Come on. You should ask to play in goal as a, uh, <laughs> yeah. a five-foot-three winger. I was like, let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. more Challenge yourself. Yeah. The promising centre-back is like, right, so... Yeah. <laughs> Not sure how much that would develop. They'd be raging at me. A bit unethical. And, yeah. and in that sense, I wanted to ask, you know, you, you must have had a couple of favourite moments in an Arsenal shirt. And I would love for you to, to reveal some of those um, on the podcast today. But I'd also love to hear your answer about whether you think that your favourite moment in an Arsenal shirt is, is yet to come in, in a certain sense. That you think that there's going to be something in the future where you're going to be like, yep, that was one of the best things ever. So I'd love to, to hear your response to, to both of those questions. Yeah, I think it's always interesting because me, my Arsenal career is kind of split into in two phases. There's always the sort of first opportunity when I was 18 coming down and I remember playing against Barca. I still talk about it to this day because I, I will never, ever forget scoring. Um, I scored a hat-trick against Barcelona in the Champions League final. And the funny thing is knowing how amazing Barcelona are now, it's amazing telling that story because... Yeah, I don't think that would happen now, yeah. but I've still got the match ball and I got everyone to sign it and it's it's up home and in my family home in Glasgow and that's definitely one of it's definitely my favourite memory from that era, along with obviously like winning the trophies that we did mm-hmm. and playing alongside it. It's so hard to pinpoint one specific moment. Um This era is a tough one because it's it's been a stop start. We've had COVID in the middle of it and and so many difficult things that have happened, not just for me football-wise, but personally as well. So you probably smashed it with what you said. I, I generally think the best moments are, are still to come and lifting a trophy. And I, I need to do it. I think we need to do it as a team and we're, we're desperate for it this year. And so that will 100% be um, my favourite moment. But favourite moment so far has probably been the North London derby when we beat Spurs um, at the Emirates Excellent. Stadium. Lo- loads yeah loads of my schoolmates came down to watch and they were in the crowd and I've still got a picture of of me pointing to them in the crowd and spotting them and that for me is was it's always nice seeing mates and and fans and trying to spot it's generally one of the best things about playing football is, is spotting your mates and family in the crowd so and beating Spurs obviously at the end yeah. it's just it's a, it's a top moment so that's definitely been my standout of this point but I think the best is still yet, yet to come yeah, that 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 felt good that day because they I swear they yeah. must have tried to two foot every single player of the team that day. So when they're coming yeah. in aggressive, you know that you're beating them really on the tactical side. So yeah, yeah, it was a good day. <laughs> and um, so you mentioned obviously that the memories, uh, the best memories are yet to come. So mm. um, you know, live on the podcast, what are you committing to? What can we expect next season? <laughs> what a are we looking for? Surely a trophy. Like I can't. Surely, I, I honestly, it's the, it's the best. It's one of the most talented teams I've ever played for, um, and I feel like the signings that we made in January, even Rafa Souza coming in, has just taken us to the next level. And she's been a, a, a great addition as just well. Just won the Copa America. Yeah, exactly. Captain for Brazil and um, unbelievable talent. And um, 
I'd love to win the league. I would really love to win the league. I think, you know, of course, we want to win the cup trophies and get as far as we can in the Champions League. But winning the league is always the most satisfying thing to win because you're the most you're the most consistent top team. And to come so close last year was was gutting. To, to lose it on the last day, like we were, we I'm not gonna lie, we all knew exactly what scores were happening. There's no way that we weren't trying to be switched off and. Um, so yeah, we need to we need to win the league. That's that's up there up there with number one. And obviously, we'll start it against Man City away, which is such a tough game to to get the ground going. But um, you know, we're kind of used to that now. We always have a big fixture opening up now. It seems we keep, obviously played Chelsea at the Emirates on the opening day last year, which was an unbelievable day well. and got off to a good start. Yeah, it was it was epic. I think beating you know they were the champions at the time. Mm-hmm. So to beat them on the opening day, we, we want a similar feeling. We want to get get going, starting well. And luckily this year we don't we don't have the group games for Champions League, which I think kind of caught us a bit off guard at last year. And we we lost steam towards the sort of Christmas, December, January, you know, which is where we slipped up massively. Um, we won't have that year, this year, so we'll we'll stay consistent, stay at the top all year. And yeah, we want the league and as many trophies as possible. But if we get the league, be buzzing with that. No, there's a, there seems to be a confidence and a swagger about the team and a sense of expectation and um, yeah. self-confidence. I mean, yeah, like you say, we've got two two uh, captains, apart from anything else, that have just come in from winning huge trophies for their international teams. And then, you know, coming into next season, it's, it's really exciting. So, um, yeah, lo- lots to come. And um, I am curious, and I know obviously the last day was, was disappointing. I remember watching it really... Um, really intently and there was definitely emotional swings because it really felt like we were going to do it for a part of it um I always wonder what what's the sort of practicality you mentioned you knew the scores and you were aware of it mm. what's the sort of practicality of that does that sort of feed in through the pitch do you kind of hear it from fans um yeah is it half time or is it a bit of both I, I mean I can't speak for the girls whenever I've been in that position on the pitch you're mm. genuinely just thinking about the game I don't think yeah. there's there's much that more that can go into it because you're so sort of focused with with what's happening and you're you're the one on the pitch so there's nothing else to think about other than that. But I don't know if they heard snippets from the crowd. But obviously when we were on the bench, we knew full well we were getting updates every minute by minute pretty much. And obviously I'm I'm warming up on the touchline, so I'm hearing the sort of the updates from what the crowd were saying. So I, like I swear I spent I spent the full game on the touchline warming up so I wanted <laughs> the updates from the fans. <laughs> Um, and I'd, I'd run back in and sort of everyone, I, I, I'm pretty sure some people were, um, yeah, we were fully up to date with what was going on, but I don't know if it helped to be honest, because it kind of, that hope of, you know, the halftime scores coming in and mm. that hope of, are we actually going to do it? You know, are they going to slip up? And then Chelsea being Chelsea kind of got over the line on the the, the second half and, yeah, so I don't know if it's any if it's good for us doing that, but we were, we were aware because obviously we were on the bench, so we we kind of were in tune with what was happening. Definitely, and um, you know, I suppose if it wasn't for a Sam Kerr wonder goal, it would have been maybe slightly different. And that's just the fine margins, I guess, that professional sport is, and um, it feels like we're going to go into next season even stronger. So it's really exciting. Yeah, no, you're right. The, the the margins at the top are so slim nowadays and it is those those one or two fixtures that the league's unfortunately going to be decided on. But I think, you know, regardless of what Chelsea do, I think we'll always be disappointed at the games that we slipped up on, the the sort of Spurs away and obviously Birmingham away as well, where, where mm. two games we, we shouldn't have dropped points. But 
ultimately it comes down to us and our performances and what we focus on. So hopefully we, if we go into doing that next year, uh, we'll come out on top. No, agreed. And you mentioned, you know, you played uh, against the top teams and Barcelona being one of them in last season in the Champions League group stage. And I remember um, I went to a Nike Selects event on Wednesday to listen to Jordan Nobbs and she was asked about the, the Barcelona game. And the way she described it, you know, was that when everyone was saying, you know, the different tactical nuances to it, that, oh, you should have pressed this up yeah, and everything, she uh, quite funnily responded, like, we were pressing. And that was the issue, is that, you know, Barcelona were able to to move around, play around and, and be that that exquisite team. And I remember Beth Mead saying that she took a lot of lessons from that game. So I was wondering from some of the slip-ups from last season, such as Birmingham and, and Spurs that you mentioned and the unfortunate mm-hmm. FA Cup final in, in December, what are the lessons that you've taken from those games, if if any are the same or if any are, are worth mentioning? I think if we're, if we're talking across the board, was we focus too much on the other team. Okay. I think so much um, going into those those games specifically the FA Cup, specifically Chelsea, specifically Barcelona, sorry, at the Emirates. We changed what we did to play those games. And I think ultimately that was our biggest downfall. I think we we focused too much on, on what they were going to do rather than what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that was probably our biggest downfall going into those games that it, it was kind of, because the games come thick and fast, you know, and when you're playing in, in all tournaments and all you're chasing all the trophies, you're you're playing three games a week, so you don't necessarily have the time to to work on things as much as you can. So try, having a couple of sessions to get to then go and try and execute a game plan that's to, totally different to what you've done previously is 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 a tough place, and it's it's almost um, a deep end trying to swim. So. Um, I think that would be our main thing. We focused as a team too much on what the opposition were doing rather than sticking to what we know, sticking to what our basics were, sticking to what our philosophies were. And ultimately, that's what led to the bad performance. The Birmingham one's totally different. I'm talking about Chelsea and Barcelona against the top, top level teams. We went away from what we knew as a team and what we knew we were best at doing. And I think that's what our downfall was. Was that... um... So, so when we beat Chelsea at the, be- at the beginning of the season, I'm curious to know because I suppose that was well the first game for Jonas. Is that was there a lot of focus on Chelsea then, or was that kind of uh, no first game of the season? Really, wow, that's really interesting. Okay. First game of the season, we we were. I remember we were hammering our press, our midfield block, how we were going to take them on as a team, our build up, our everything, and it, we still look back at some clips from that game to kind of. Uh, analyze certain training sessions that we've done based on that that game so we still yeah no I, I remember that game so clearly being so clear in my head of what our philosophy was and what our style was and what we were trying to do mm-hmm. and ultimately that's what gives you confidence going into a game so we we very much focused on on us because it was it was first game of the season like if, if you're you had we had to start well and everything was on us no, agreed. And I can imagine that for those games, it it's very difficult to say like, wow, okay, we're going to play this amazing team that's going to really, you know, test us, but we have to focus on ourselves. And I was wondering with that introspection and with that looking into the team and after those games, who did you feel really stepped up and, and developed throughout the season uh, as a result of those games, as a result of the title push, 
results of the Champions League. Did you feel that anyone had a serious you know, market difference between the beginning and the end, whether it was a youth player or a senior player? I'd probably say Beth Mead when I'm answering mm. that one. Yeah, I, th- I feel like she definitely, I mean, after summer missing out on the Olympics, Beth Mead kind of came back with a bit of a fire in her belly anyway. Um, and I think Jonas was the perfect manager in that sense to kind of guide her way through that. Um, her sort of ability to win the ball back after it's been lost as a team was something I saw develop massively um, over the course of a season. And yeah, she's, I mean, she was she was always an unbelievable player, but I think we can all say that she's kicked on over this past year. And that was something that was so special to see over that course of the season. And then ultimately, we've we've all seen it this summer with England. And it's quite funny that you that you mentioned that as well, because in terms of me producing the content for, for the Arsenal Editor page, there's just so much Beth Mead content. <laughs> Beth yeah, Mead, yeah. There's, there's gold, there's highlight, there's real. And yeah. it's been, I would 100% agree, it's been fantastic to see that. And there's so much to be excited for, especially when hopefully you know the knock she sustained in, in the game yesterday doesn't uh, hit her too harsh. But to bring that into the season... And to to really really kick on kick on from there, and I was wondering then, with looking ahead towards um, preseason and and yourself and towards the start of the season, how are you feeling about yourself? How are you feeling about your game? And how are you feeling about about football in general? Good, yeah, I feel like really positive. I think it, I've I've had you know a really great break. I think it was one of the biggest breaks I've had in in a long time and. It was amazing to travel and especially after COVID and, you know, it, it seemed like everyone was able able to fly places and, and see their friends and family. So I feel like I've come in with a, a really fresh mindset and, and ready to, to get my head down and, and work harder than ever because it does obviously get more and more competitive and, and more and more difficult. But I'm still so driven to, to compete amongst this group of players and to compete and win trophies. But it starts from, you know, each individual day is bringing your absolute best. And I think... That's the sort of mindset I have. I, st- I still want to be my absolute best, even after the injuries and, and, and personal stuff I've gone through. I, I'm, I still absolutely love my job. It's, it's one of the best clubs to play for. And so I feel super positive, so motivated, so grateful that I've, I've, I, they, they gave me another year and another contract and, and a, a space also to kind of develop off the pitch as well. So I feel... So it's probably the most excited I've been for a year ahead, to be honest. And, you know, I'm grateful for all the resources and the backing that the club have given us as a women's team as well to to really give it our all. So that's probably what makes me comfortable, but also challenged at the same time, knowing what's ahead. And, um, yeah, I can't wait to get going. And I'm excited for all the girls to come back from the Euros as well. As there's obviously a small group with us just at the minute. So it's kind of, there's six or seven and, you know, they're slowly coming back whoever got knocked out first type thing. So it's nice to see um, the faces come through and new signings and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm buzzing. I, honestly, it's, it's, it's such an amazing club to play for. So yeah. You can see that across the club. There's, you know, I suppose in any professional uh, elite sport environment, like having everybody um, fully driven to compete for places, to, um, you know, be raring to go starting from zero on day one is, is, is an amazing place to be. And it can clearly drives such a successful environment as well. So, yeah, I'm super excited about next season. Um, so uh, we should be finishing a couple of questions, Connor. Um, so, I mean, 
you know, looking looking back across the career, then um, for I suppose over your time as a as a career, uh, but looking at the whole game, yeah. um, what's been your highlight for women's football in general over the last season? I suppose. Is it too obvious to question. say last <laughs> night? Is it too obvious to say though? Yeah, like, probably. Do you know what we wrote these questions a while ago? Now, it's probably, it's probably, probably like question. it is probably the, an easy question in the sense that last night literally just happened. Like for a female player to be at a game with eighty-seven thousand people and for England to win it, that's it. Ju- it just feels like a pivotal moment. It really does. Um, but not look like, always playing. I, th- I think the first ever time that FA Cup was at Wembley was really big. Getting a really good crowd there. Obviously, I was it with the Man City at the time, and, and winning it was was unbelievable. Um, but I do, yeah. The the pivotal moments for me are always when games are played at major stadiums. The tournament years are always massive moments because the audience numbers grows, records are always broken, and you see the the growth of the game first and foremost through its numbers. Um, so it's it's really hard, but I feel like last night is is has got to be the obvious one for me. Like for England to win on home soil and even walking around the supermarket everywhere, they're earlier today they're they're on every front page. And that's probably um like that's never happened. So I feel like now we've we finally got to a point where the product of football is up there, mm. as in the quality, the exposure is there. Now it's just what's next? You know, are we going to be playing at the big the big stadiums? Are we going to be playing? Um, is every major club going to have an academy? Are the different brand partnerships going to come on board? I think that that's the sort of next step. But I've gone off on a massive tangent there. I do, I do apologise, but I, the big standout has to be last night. Yeah, England yeah, I mean, the Euros. Hundred percent. I mean, you know, I can't imagine what that's going to do to participation in the game. Yeah. Um, whether that's going to feed from grassroots level, and I suppose that takes us on to the last question, which I appreciate, Connor. You put now, so you probably want to. Uh, you want to ask that one? Yeah, with pleasure. Thanks for the interview. <laughs> and yeah, I think for me, um, having having coached women, the women's game in, in terms of futsal before and being such a, a big advocate for it, I'd love to hear um, yourself what you think is the best thing that people like Toby, myself, whether just football fans in general or, or people with a following can do to help further the women's game. And I asked the same to, to Jordan Nobbs on on Wednesday, and she said, you know, being, if you're in this kind of position, being a good father figure, encouraging your daughters to get into the game, but also just the exposure. So as you said, media is brilliant, sharing it on, on social media and, and going to games. But I was wondering what uh, what you thought. Yeah, I, I do think changing the perception is probably the number one thing. I think we need to try and go away from this whole men's football, women's football, it, it, for me, it's just football now, and it's it's changing the attitudes and changing sort of the the narrative around the conversations. I think that would probably be the biggest thing that I would say that whether you're a football fan or you know English football fan, whether it's men on the TV or women, it doesn't matter. You're you're watching a game of football, and I think the biggest thing that I think we can all do is, is change the narrative and try and change the attitudes. I think would kind of which I think is happening. Don't get me wrong, like there's walking around Wembley last night you, it's not just dads and daughters anymore it's it's people of all ages of all genders of all race and I think that's what has to happen it's got to have the same opportunity level from all ages from a young age and I think that's the biggest thing the opportunity given to, to everyone amazing yeah and um you know it's something is uh we're very fortunate we enjoy being content uh sharers and creators in a sense and um yeah. 
I think always having advice from people within the game, you know, from a professional level all the way all the way down is um, is always helpful. And you know, we hopefully we can be a very very small part of growing what is a massive game. So really excited. Yeah. No, and you guys do an unbelievable job. So like we are like so chuffed that you guys do take us on board as well and and sort of help that along the way. So from our perspective, like we we really appreciate that as well. So thank you. So it's uh, it's an honour to even be noticed. Leaving on a big high. But Jen, look, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been uh, it's been amazing. It's been good fun. So look, I really really appreciate you coming on. I can't wait to to get this out and everyone to hear it. No, cheers. Thanks so much for having me. I loved it. Loved the opportunity to chat to you guys. So thank oh, you. Pleasure, Jen. Thank you so much. Cheers, guys. And there we go, guys. Wow. Hope you enjoyed that. That was uh, quite the journey. So I really appreciate it. Look, we've got so much more coming this season. Um, thanks so much for listening to that. I hope that was uh, really insightful. I think not only such an insight to the women's game, but the professional game in general. There were so many interesting little things there that I'm sure we all got to learn. So, yeah, absolutely excited about what's going to happen this season. There's going to be many more podcasts, a lot more exciting things to come out. We've got our um, men's podcast. We'll soon break out the women's podcast as well, um, as soon as we sorted that out. And uh, we are clearly going to win the league, both women's and men's. I can't wait. Thanks again. Appreciate it. See you soon.